You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, the Gospel reading before us today has two parts, and each of them would be good to reflect on, but but put together like they are in the text is even better. First, we have Jesus telling the disciples about his death and his resurrection. This is the third of what we call the passion predictions of Jesus, where he, he, just, he tells his disciples that we're going down to Jerusalem and we're going for the purpose of my death. I'm going to be killed. He's very, very clear about what's going to happen. Here it is in the text. Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the, to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. The detail here that Jesus gives is, is jarring. There's going to be spit and there's going to be whips and there's going to be Gentiles. I'm going to be dead and I'm going to be laid in the grave. And then at last, the resurrection. And this is what the prophets promised, says Jesus. This is what the Bible is about. This is what Jesus came to do, to be crucified and to be resurrected for you. This is very clear. But look at the next verse. Verse 34 in the text, it's almost comical because of the repetition. Luke gives this comment. But they, the disciples, understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. We think that once would be enough, but Luke wants to emphasize this. Three times he tells us that the disciples had absolutely no idea what Jesus was talking about. Now, the words were not the confusing part to the disciples. And the words were clear. For anyone who was listening, the words that Jesus spoke would be, would be absolutely crystal clear. But their understanding was held back, and especially because the disciples were expecting a different kind of Messiah. A different type of, of Messiah than what Jesus promises. Not a, a stripped down, crucified, hanging dead on the cross kind of Messiah. Or at least the, the disciples couldn't, uh, couldn't stand the idea of their beloved Jesus being put to death. But then look, right after this threefold confession of the apostles' ignorance, Luke tells us about a beggar who's blind. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now consider this contrast. Here are the disciples who have been with Jesus for almost three and a half years, and they have no idea what Jesus is up to. But this blind man can see it with great clarity, who Jesus is and what he can do to help him. He hears the name Jesus, and he immediately starts praying. He calls Jesus the Son of David, knowing that he is the Messiah, the promised Son of David, who would come to deliver life and joy and peace and deliver us and all of Israel and all the people from sin and death and the devil. He cries out, not for money, like a beggar, but for mercy. Have mercy. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Now the crowd was embarrassed at this. They turn around and try to hush this man. He was causing a scene, and besides, Jesus, after all, is important. He probably has important things to do with important people of Jericho. But I don't wonder, and you can tell me if you think this is helpful or not, but I don't wonder if the, the, the same thing that's behind the disciples' inability to understand the words of Jesus is also behind the crowds hushing this beggar. They just don't know who Jesus is or what he's come to do. But the blind man knows Jesus. And he wouldn't be stopped. He prays all the more. Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then the good part. Jesus hears his prayer. He comes to him and he serves him. Jesus stopped and commanded this man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I might recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. We don't want to miss that. The Greek is, is literally like this. Your faith has saved you. Jesus gives the credit for this man's healing to his faith. And then the text finishes. And immediately he recovered his sight. And following him, that is, the blind man, now at sight, following Jesus, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So far the text. Now, what do we make of it? This text, among all the other gifts that it gives to us, would teach us faith alone. And really, I think this morning, the text would teach us the difficulty of faith alone. I think for the last 100 or 120 years or so, we've had a little slogan in the church, you know, that kind of summed up our Lutheran teaching, grace alone, faith alone, and scripture alone. And if you've been paying attention, you've seen this on, you know, seals and stained glass windows and, and stuff like this. And it's okay. I think one of the, we make a mistake when we think that that slogan goes all the way back to Luther. It's, it's not that old. I mean, you can find the teaching there in Luther, but it was probably put together about a hundred years ago, this, the three solas. And I want us to always be wary of things like this, slogans and cliches and you know, any kind of theology that could fit onto a bumper sticker. We always got to watch out for that. There is something helpful in these three solas. And perhaps it's, it's not the three solas simply put together, but it is simply the word alone that, that is attached to these three things. We have grace alone. Every church teaches about grace. Every church does. But when you say it's God's grace alone, that his grace is our only hope for salvation, and that we have no hope apart from that grace, then we start to get into the theological fights because people want grace and other things. And the same, I think, is true with Scripture alone. Every church has the Scriptures, but when we say that the Scripture alone is infallible and efficacious and powerful, and we start to exclude things like tradition, or the authority, the authoritative teaching office of the church, or reason, or experience, when we start to exclude these sorts of things, or any sort of mysticism that would hear God's word, apart, his voice apart from the word, then, we, then we're actually saying something, and that's when the fighting begins. It's at the word alone. And, and that's the word that causes all the trouble. And the same is true with faith alone. And every church that claims to be Christian talks about faith, but the alone is the trouble. 
It's the alone that excludes all of our works and all of our efforts and all of our goodness and all of our holiness and all of our obedience. It's the alone that causes the trouble. This is what the fight was about at the time of the Reformation. And it's what Lutherans are still fussing about with the other churches. That in one way or another, they deny the aloneness of grace or the aloneness of the Scriptures or the aloneness of faith. But these differences are what we're talking about in Bible class. <laughs> from the pulpit, from this pulpit, the Lord wants to deal with you, not those guys. He wants to deal with you. And faith alone, even if we use it as a rallying point for our doctrine and for the clarity of the gospel, it is first given to us for our repentance, for humility. And it goes like this. When the Lord says that we are justified by faith alone, he is taking everything else away from us. When the Lord says that we have to come to him with empty hands, he knocks out of our hands everything that we would bring to present to him. When the Lord says that we come before him with empty sacks, he checks at the door to make sure our sacks are really empty and that we're not smuggling good works in there somehow. You see, our flesh, your flesh, your sinful flesh, always wants to bring something to God, to do something for God, to please God in some way, to do something that earns His smile or His love or His salvation. And this desire does not look evil to us. It looks good. It looks holy. Good works seem to us to be good. <laughs> And our heart seems like a nice thing that we would want to give to God. Our efforts and our works and our prayers seem like a pleasant thing that maybe He would want to receive. But look at how radical this idea of faith alone is. Your good works are excluded from justification. Imagine it like this. You're invited to a famous doctor's house for dinner. You don't, you don't know him necessarily, but he apparently knows you and has invited you. And you've accepted the invitation to come over for dinner, and you do what any polite dinner guest would do. You've asked, what should I bring? What can I bring? And he says, nothing. Just bring your appetite. Appetite alone. Sola appetita. <laughs> but you think this is going to be rude. And so you show up to the door with a nice bottle of wine and a loaf of bread that you picked up at the store. And as you show up with what you think will be a kind gift for your dinner guest, someone meets you at the door, some sort of doctor bouncer or something. I haven't worked this out exactly. It's just an illustration. Some bouncer shows up at the store and he says, uh, did you bring things with you? And yes, you say, I, I brought a gift. I brought some wine and some bread. I thought this would be nice. And he grabs them out of your hand and smashes the wine on the floor and throws the loaf of bread in the fire. And he says, the instructions were to bring your appetite and nothing else. Because everything else is excluded. And to us, this seems incredibly rude, incredibly distasteful, 
incredibly disrespectful that he would not be willing to receive the gift. It is until you start to realize that the doctor that you are going to see for dinner has sorted out that all of the food in all of the world has been poisoned and the only food safe to eat is in his house. <laughs> but still, we look at the wine running in the dirt and the bread burning in the fire and we are sad because we love our works. We love our efforts. We love our service to God. But God wants none of it. Faith alone. Listen, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 4, 5. We wouldn't believe it unless God had said it. Justification comes to the one who does not work. Faith alone means that we come to God with absolutely nothing in our hands. We come to God with nothing to offer, with nothing to bargain with, with nothing to call His pleasure or earn His love. All we have is hope in His mercy. That's it. All we have is faith in His promises. And to us, He provides the richest feast. This blind man on the road to Jericho did not bargain with Jesus. He did not have anything to offer Him. All this man had was faith in His name. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, the Son of David, did... And this is true worship, to cry out to Jesus for mercy. If you were to do a survey and ask people uh, what worship is, I suspect that you would most of the time get an answer like this. Worship is us serving God. It's giving him praises for who he is and for what he's done. And to an extent, this is true. This is worship. It is the worship of the law, the worship which God demands. But there is another worship that the Bible teaches, the worship of the gospel, the worship that the Lord desires, and that is faith alone. Standing before the Lord with an empty sack as a beggar with nothing to give, simply an unholy sinner believing that God is good and that God is merciful. And that God is crucified for you and raised for you. Standing before Him knowing that we deserve destruction. His destruction. And that He instead gives us life and joy and peace. And this is true worship. Faith alone. This is justification. Now to be sure, good works follow faith. Good works, the Bible says on every page, is the fruit of repentance, the result, not the cause of justification. And God hands His Christians over to all sorts of good works, works that He's prepared even beforehand for us to serve our neighbor. But when we stand before God, when you stand before God here, and on the last day, you stand before Him with nothing. Nothing but faith. Nothing but a cry for mercy. 
And he hears your prayer. And he answers it. And he gives you everything. Righteousness, forgiveness, peace, life, joy, the Holy Spirit, his kingdom, his name, his love, his friendship. He gives you everything. Whenever the Lord's Church gets together to pray, and it doesn't really matter when, I mean, on divine service on Sunday morning or in matins or vespers or even in the morning and evening prayer or the family prayers, whenever the Lord's Church gathers to pray, there are always two prayers that are prayed. There's the Lord's Prayer and there's the Kyrie. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. That's the prayer that we learned from this blind beggar on the road to Jericho. Lord, have mercy. That's our prayer. That's the prayer of faith. That's the prayer of faith alone. It's the prayer of a beggar. It's the prayer of a sinner. And the Lord hears your prayer. And he answers it. And he saves you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.